Well, if you study the ways and the workings of God across Scripture, one of the things you will find is that God does not always immediately reveal why he does what he does. But the Scriptures clearly teach and the Scriptures clearly show that no matter what happens, God can take things that are evil and, they can, and he can powerfully turn them in his sovereign purposes to things that are good. Years ago, I was a young pastor, and the church that we started was meeting in a temporary place. And I prayed continuously that God would give us a place where we could meet regularly. And so I uh, was in, had a dream one night during a time when I was intensely praying about this. And in my dream, there was just a little white country church, like an old schoolhouse church. And in that church, it was full of young families. And, uh, and uh, we were singing, we were preaching, and we were enjoying being together. Not long after that, one of our deacons, a man named Mark Boucher, who lived on Tucker Road called me on the phone and he said, Pastor, there's something I want you to see. Um, he said, I've talked to the people that own the Grange Hall out on Tucker Road and they're elderly and, and they would, if we would improve their building, they would give us a 100 year lease for a dollar a year, he said. I drove out there and there was the little white church house in my dream. I wished I had dreamed for a bigger building. But anyway, there was this little white church house on our little well, Grange Hall. It was called the Liberty Grange on Tucker Road. Some of the men of the church got together and we worked to put restrooms in the building and we worked to, put a new, to repair the roof on the building and we worked to build a little office in the building and we worked to renovate the building and we built a ramp on the building for some boys in the church that needed wheelchair access. And we worked really hard. We'd meet down there in the evenings and we would all work together and uh, the fellows would tell me things to do. I would try to help. One of the fellows leaned a huge ladder up inside that building, up into the attic of that building. And I saw him as he climbed up that tall ladder up into the very peak of that building and up into the attic of that building, up by the bell tower. He was up in there for a while. And, and after a while, he hollered, hey, Pastor, you got to see this. There's something here you got to see. He said, well, I'll, I'll bring it down. In a minute, he comes down the ladder with a board. And one side of the board was clearly painted Liberty Grange. But then he turned the board around and in old letters, covered up with dirt, he wiped it off and you could clearly read Hopewell Baptist Church, Hopewell Baptist Church. We got to asking around and Nina Boucher said, found out that her grandmother, when she was a little girl, went to church in that building before it was a grain shawl it was a Baptist church. Trouble came into the church, and um, there'd been some uh, 
scandal involving a, a pastor, and the church closed exactly 70 years later to, to the month, God opened that church back up as a Baptist church. Before I came out here today, I looked it up on the internet, and it's still a Bible-preaching Baptist church. Now, what's interesting is, why would God have sent that church into captivity for 70 years? It reminded me of the Babylonian captivity. The Bible teaches that God had a timing in his heart about why he sent the nation of uh, Judah into Babylonian captivity for exactly 70 years. As a matter of fact, it says, then the land shall, this is a Leviticus 26, 34 and 35, then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's land, then the land shall rest and shall enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest. And the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. You see what happened? God said to his children uh, in Judah, he said, I told you to take, give the land its Sabbath rest. And since you didn't, didn't uh, obey me, I'm going to send you into captivity in Babylon and I'm going to give the land the rest I intended it to have. So I was thinking about this the other day when I was, you know, one of the, my, my little hobby, my great uh, passion is the pastoring this church. And uh, my uh, little hobby on the side is going to speak to young people at camps. And if you've been paying attention, it's hard to imagine that we're going to be able to have a normal camping season this year. And as I thought about that, I was out driving home and it just broke my heart. I thought about all the children this summer that if we are unable to have camp, I thought about the camp that I uh, have spoken at for 22 years in a row. They, they asked me this year to speak four times, once in every season of the year, once in the winter, once in the spring, once in the summer, once in the fall, and I was looking forward to that. And yet, the spring family camp now has been canceled. And the summer camp may be canceled as well. And who would have uh, anticipated that? I thought about the personal sadness of that, but more powerfully, what I thought about was that in that camp, that camp for my entire lifetime, there's never been a silent summer up there. There's never been a summer in my lifetime when there weren't campers gathered in those chapels on a summer evening singing the praises of Jesus and hearing the gospel. There's never been a single silent summer up there during my lifetime when the campers didn't stir the waters of the lake, swimming and laughter and shouting and playing and running in the sunshine, plunging into the lake and walking the trails playing soccer and sharing meals and making weird noises at night, sleeping in their little cabins together. And this summer, it's unlikely that will happen. And I thought about why would God allow that to happen? And this is what we want to remember. 
And that is according to the scriptures, God allows what God allows and God wills what God wills. But God is able to take things we don't understand and, and, per, and use them in a perfect and powerful way. He's able to take things that are evil, that are wrong, that are, that are the result of fallenness or sin like disease or even mistakes that people have made or, or intentional things that people have done that are wrong. God is able to take all those things and create his good purposes out of that. And it's at a time like this, this we want to trust him. So God has arranged his universe to work in, in rhythms of rest and work. To work in rhythms of noise and quiet. To work in rhythms of community and solitude. To work in rhythms of feasting and fasting. And so it is now God is choosing to do something that none of us really fully understand. And this is something that I begin to think about. It's God is ordaining a rest in many ways because of what's happening. He's ordaining a rest. For many of us, he said, go home, stay home for a while. You won't get to go do the things you normally do. You won't go the places and do the things you normally do. God has ordained a rest. And even though it may be a result of evil or even people that are, are, that are unwise or doing wrong, it's still God has allowed it and God will bring good from it. Was it a good thing? Was it a right thing for Babylon to come over and to bring Judah captive? No, it was evil for them. Was God using it? Yes, God was intentionally using it, and he had a specific timing for it. And we can believe and trust God in his power that he has a special timing and a special purpose for the rest that he has enforced. One of the things that he's ordained, one of the things that's really interesting in these days is that you listen to news reports. And in the news reports, what you find is that the rest has been good for the environment. Isn't it interesting? The, the environment is resting now. In the quarantine, the earth has been catching its breath. The earth itself, the air quality around the earth is, is improving. They say that the, 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 the best air quality of any major city on planet earth today is Los Angeles, California since the quarantine has begun. They say that there are places in India where the Himalayas are visible for the first time in 100 years because of the air quality is so pristine and clear. There are major cities around the world where animals are coming out of the woods and freely roaming the streets in safety because of the quarantine, because of the rest that God has ordained for the earth. The canals in Italy are running with purity and, and, a, and a pure, clean canals for, cleaner than, than decades because of the quarantine. The rivers around the world are cleaner than they were. It's just interesting that even God says, sometimes for the human body it's good to feast, and sometimes for the human body it's good to not eat so much. And sometimes it's good for us to work hard and, and, and exhaust ourselves, and sometimes it's good to just rest. Sometimes it's good to be uh, active, and sometimes it's good to sleep. And, for the, and, and so God has ordained a rest. Now, the biblical basis for what I want to, what's on my heart today, is found, though, in the careful observation of the life of Jesus Christ. The heart of what I want to get you to see, and I'll tell you the big idea very cleanly, very plainly in a minute, 
the heart of what I'd like you to see is just, is, it, well, it came to me like this. Once I was at a conference many years ago, um, and uh, the, one of the people at the conference was uh, Joe Stoll, who's the president then of the Moody Bible Institute. And it was a pastor's conference, and he was giving some counsel to young pastors. And I was a young pastor, so I was listening very carefully. And somebody said, uh, well, should a pastor take a day off? And uh, Joe Stoll said once a lady in his church came up to him and she said, you know, I need you to do something. And he said, well, I'll have to do it, you know, the next day because that, that would be my day off. And the lady said to him, well, I will tell you something, pastor. The devil never takes a day off. And Joe Stoll said, well, I realize the devil never takes a day off, but the devil is not my role model and Jesus took a day off. I love that. <laughs> so, so I thought about that. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. Was Jesus, did, really, did Jesus really have this rhythm of work and rest when he was on earth? And I got my Bible out and I began to study about what, when did Jesus take a day off? When did Jesus go to the mountains, to the lake, to the wilderness? And, and I want to kind of briefly show you that. You can see this pattern in Jesus' life. There's a sacred rhythm of work and rest in the life of Jesus. I'm get, what I'm getting at is we didn't ask for this rest, but God has allowed it, and it is good. We didn't ask for this rest, but God has allowed it, and he will, he will make good of it. He will bring good from it. And, and one of the examples of that is the rhythm of work and rest in the life of Jesus, this sacred rhythm of the mountaintop and the marketplace. And what I'm going to show you in these scriptures that I briefly give you here in a moment is that Jesus would exhaust himself in hard labor among the people. And then immediately he would retire to the beauty of the lake, to the solitude of the mountains, to the stark reality of the Judean wilderness, and he would be alone sometimes in quietness and solitude, sometimes with a little group of men. Listen to this. He arose and left the synagogue. He entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. They appealed to him on her behalf. He stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and, sh and, and began to serve them. When the sun was setting, all of those who had any who were sick with various diseases, brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Can you imagine the exhausting work it was uh, for Jesus to tend to all these desperately sick people? And then it says, in the, in the morning, after this night of intense spiritual warfare with demons and so forth, it says, he, uh, demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. So he had all this disease and all this demonic activity. It would have been spiritually and physically exhausting for him to be involved in that. But Jesus was a man who waded into that eagerly, willingly, and he, and he worked hard and labored. Then in the morning, it says, when it was day, Luke 4, 42, he departed and he went to a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him. 
and would have kept from leaving them. So right after this intense period of ministry in the marketplace, if you will, Jesus goes to the mountaintop. Here's another example in the next chapter of Luke. But now, even more, the report of him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Folks, there's a pattern here. What do you do when you're overwhelmed with difficulty and overwhelmed with demonic things and overwhelmed with disease and overwhelmed with work and overwhelmed with fear, overwhelmed with weariness? You do your job and then you get away to a desolate place and you especially pray. That's what Jesus did. That's what we should do. Here in, in Luke chapter 6, the very next chapter, in these days, he went out to a mountain to pray, and he continued there all night in prayer to God. What we know about this is that this was on the eve of him choosing who his disciples would be. And it says, and a great crowd of disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast and Tyre and Sidon, they came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those that were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. So there you have the same thing. You have disease and you have death and you have demonic oppression and jesus is in the middle of that and that would be exhausting physically that would be exhausting spiritually and jesus involved himself with people in compassion and if you're like if you work as your teacher or if you work in sales or, or pe if there are people around you you know that people can that have needs you're eager to help them but that can exhaust you and then people have spiritual needs that are very difficult to understand, can spiritually exhaust you. Then the spiritual forces and the realities can be exhausting. What did Jesus do? When he did these things, he worked hard, but then he got away. This is what it says, and in, in Luke chapter 6, that's what he did. And then Luke chapter 9, about eight days after these things, he took Peter and James and John, and he went up in a mountain to pray. And in Luke 11, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, he said, his disciples said, teach us to pray. What, well that, the, of the things that Jesus did, they say that the disciples, this never recorded that the disciples said, teach me to preach like you preach. But the disciples said, show me how to pray like you pray. And then it's interesting because in John 18, there's an interesting little incident. Listen to it. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. You realize what we're talking about now is on the, you know, the eve before his betrayal. So Jesus is approaching Calvary. He's about to die. And he's going out here and he's finding a quiet place to pray. And Judas is going to betray him. And it says that Judas knew where he was because Jesus often met there with his disciples. You get that? What I'm saying is this. It was so common, this pattern of Jesus getting away to a quiet place to pray, that when you wondered where he was, Judas said, I know where he is. He's in that place where he always is. He's in that place where he goes to be alone with God. He knew exactly where to find him. And Matthew is an example. After he dismissed the crowds, he went to the mountain himself to pray. Mark is an example. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed to a desolate place. What I'm saying should be very obvious to you. If Jesus had a rhythm of work and rest in his life, 
you should have a rhythm of work and rest in your life. And if God, in his sovereign purposes, has ordained a rest for something that you plan to do, you know there's something that God is doing in it that's good. Even if camp is canceled, even if church services are different than they used to be, and even if family reunions are deferred, there's like Christian, wise Christian people go alone to a quiet place and pray and, and use their creativity and ask God, you know, God, what are you doing? This quietness, this peace, this rest, it's like music without rest would not be good music. I once heard a story of a missionary, a group of missionaries who had hired some nationals to guide them through a mountain range, and they were in a real hurry. They needed to get through this mountain range. They needed to get what they needed to get done, but they had these men that were with them that were, that were, that were native to the country, that were, na that were nationals. And the men went with them up, hiking up into these mountains. And in two or three days, they just hiked really hard. One morning they got up and the nationals were sitting there and they said, let's go. And the nationals said, we can't go yet. And they said, why can't we go? And they looked at each other, the nationals, and they said to the missionaries, we are not going to move until our souls catch up with us. They felt like they had outrun their souls. Sometimes, whether we know it or not, God may look at us and our frenetic pace and say, you slow down, you lay down. You can't walk as fast as you used to walk. You can't do the things you used to do. I have ordained a rest. At that point, wise, godly, Christ-following people should say, okay, whatever you have in mind, Lord, I want to follow you in that. Can I tell you a personal uh, testimony about this? I have been privileged to be a pastor for like about 40, 42, uh, 41, 42 years. And uh, it's pretty common for pastors to burn out, to give up, to bail out, to despair of life sometimes. And I've been blessed that in the 40 some years of my ministry, though I faced things that were hard, I have never had that experience. I, God's just given me a great love for what I do. But if you were to ask me why that is, I would say one of the things is I'll work really hard and, and problems will come up I didn't expect. People will be despairing of life. People will be sick. Counseling needs, church difficulties will really kind of press in on me and will require a lot of time, a lot of attention, a lot of work. And I will tell myself it's okay because this will pass and I will be able to take a little extra time to recover. And then other times I might be out mowing my lawn and I might think, wow, this is really easy. Being a pastor really isn't that hard. Uh, and then I, I always remind myself, look out because next week, you're going to have a wedding, and you're going to have a funeral, and you're going to have a difficulty, and you're going to, somebody's going to need you, and they're going to be, and then so what I realize is there's a, there's a sacred rhythm in my life, a sacred rhythm of work and rest, and when I'm resting, I shouldn't feel guilty because there's plenty of work that's coming, and when I'm, wor when I'm working, I shouldn't be overwhelmed because there's going to be a significant rest that's coming. Can I be a little bit more specific and tell you, and I'll, I'll get you out of here today, but in Jackson used to be a place like that for me, which is interesting.
Because sometimes I would drive over into Indiana or to Chicago or to the other side of the state, and we lived over in the Detroit area. So I would drive along 94, but I would always think when I get to Jackson, I'm going to stop. Because there's a bookstore, an old used bookstore downtown, and I'll just like, it's kind of a indulgence. It's kind of a selfish indulgence of mine just to spend maybe a couple of hours just pilfering around an old bookstore where nobody really even knows where I am or what I'm doing. And I'm just two hours pilfering around an old bookstore. And then maybe when I'm all done, I'll think, you know what, I'm going to go over to Schlinker's and eat some really terrible good food. And I'll go over there. I would go over there and slide in behind that counter and that Schlinker's on Ganson, you know, and then I'd get something to eat. I would, on a fall day, I remember one day coming from South Bend, going to Detroit, I needed some time for my soul. And so I decided instead of taking 94, I would take Route 12 real slow and just puddle jump through the little bergs around southern Michigan and then to Jackson and to my bookstore and a little something to eat. And then I would get on 94 and hurry home. And in a way, you could feel guilty about that. But for me, that's how I've kept my soul refreshed and joyful in the Lord. And, I, and however that works for you, here's what I want to suggest. I want to encourage you, and that is don't follow my example. Follow Jesus' example. That's what I'm trying to do. Jesus Christ, the king of the universe, took a significant amount of time to be peaceful and to be quiet and to let his soul catch up with him. Once some young men, they put together a, a trip a canoe trip through the Algonquin wilderness. And they put this trip together as if it was a competition. And they brought me along with them. And, they, and they, were, they were plotting out how many lakes they could paddle, how many miles they could go. And in less than a week, they went 100 miles of paddling. I had no idea what a grueling thing that would be until I went on this adventure along with a portage, climbing over rocks and so forth between these lakes. It was a very difficult, grueling thing. It was like, it was almost like a, uh, the young people, the young men there were trying to outdo each other to see who was the fastest and the strongest. I thought it was very ironic because I was in at least middle age at the time. And so we paddled down this pristine northern lake up in the Canadian Shield. And in the evening, we would come to this most gorgeous campsite with a thick carpet of pine needles under fragrant pines Neath the, these beautiful pine trees, you could look up and see the gorgeous clear sky and all the stars. You could hear the call of the loon. You could build a fire and sit around the fire and then get in your tent and sleep. And it would be like, up early in the morning, quick, we've got to go. I told those guys, I enjoyed that week, but I will never do that again. Because I will never go up into the Canadian wilderness like that and hurry through it so fast. There is no reason to hurry so fast through such a beautiful place. I've got nothing to prove. And can I just say that to you about this journey that we're on together? God said, slow down. Well, now he's God, isn't he? If God said, slow down, then what should we do? Slow down. And if God says, I will make it good, he will make it good. Has he ever done this before? Yes, he's done it before. And he may... He may do it again. The big idea, in case you missed it, is this. When God commands a rest, 
when God ordains a rest, he will make good come from it because he's good and he's doing good and he's able to turn evil things to good, eternal and ultimate purposes. I want to send you on your way today with a benediction that comes from one of the most beautiful poems that anyone has ever written in the history of the world. As a matter of fact, I imagine the poem that I base this benediction on is the most popular bit of poetry any human being ever put on paper. Let me see if you recognize it while I pronounce a benediction upon you. May Jesus, the good shepherd, meet all your needs, body, soul, and spirit. May he make you lie down in green pastures. May he lead you beside still water. In the care of the good shepherd Jesus, may your very soul be restored. Even when you pass through the valley where the threat of death lurks in the darkness, may you fear no evil, knowing you are not alone. When enemies are present, may they see that your good shepherd has spread a table before you and tenderly cared for you. May your cup overflow and may goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. In Christ, may your yoke be as easy and your burden light. In learning of Christ, may you all find deep rest for your souls. God bless you.